This is Andrea Moody, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Script Writing Software, the entertainment industry standard for script writing worldwide. My name is Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, episode 22 for Monday, May 23rd, 2011. Well, today I am so excited to bring you an interview with Canadian writer Andrea Moody. And this is actually a privilege because it's the very first time I will have interviewed somebody who I've actually worked with in a professional capacity. I've worked with Andrea on uh, actually season five of Property Virgins. And Andrea is a very unique writer. She has written in features, TV dramas, documentaries, factual television, interactive, and webisodes, and she is going to talk a lot about the differences in writing for these different mediums. So it's a very, very interesting interview that I'm sure you're going to love. First, a few details. One of them is that, as I mentioned on the last podcast, the TV Writer Chat has been launched, and it was a great success and continues to be very, very exciting. Every Sunday night, right after Script Chat, at 6.30 p.m. Pacific or 9.30 p.m. Eastern, you can go on Twitter and use the TV Writer Chat hashtag and get involved in a conversation about various topics. And there's lots and lots and lots of people who participate. You can find out about the details of the various uh, topics that are going to be covered at tvwriterchat.com. And you can find out about the the easier ways that you can actually do it. There's a website that you can go to where you don't actually have to type the hashtag every time. Um, and there's some other tips. One of the things that I like to do is I, I actually like to have a column in my tweet deck just for TV Writer Chat. And it shows me the tweets as they come. Uh, there's other tips like that. But uh, I urge you to take part if you're interested in TV writing. Um, there's going to be various... Guests involved, like Chad Gervich, is going to be on an upcoming TV Writer Chat on June 12th. And other exciting things are going to take place. Make sure you take part. And during the week, if you want to tweet um, to this same group, you can use the TV Writer Chat hashtag on Twitter. And it will go out to the various other people who are following this group. And also make sure you do follow the uh, Twitter account, at TV Writer Chat, um, to get announcements related to the TV Writer Chat. As well, there's some new homework on the table. The excellent, excellent Elephant Bucks by Sheldon Bull. And this is all about writing television sitcoms. It's, it's, a, it's a great read. Um, very, very worthwhile advice. And I actually met uh, Sheldon at the Toronto Screenwriting Conference recently. And he's just a great, great guy and has a lot, a lot of great lessons to share. So you can buy that book at tvwriterpodcast.com. Go to the store link. And you, there's uh, a Canadian and an American version of the store. There's lots of great books there. Uh, feel free to browse. And, and any book you buy through that store um, helps to support the podcast. But certainly, Elephant Bucks is a great one to have on your shelf. And I'll be interviewing Sheldon in the month of June. Um, so make sure to read that soon so that you can get your questions in for Sheldon Bull. Um, as you're at tvwriterpodcast.com, make sure you check out the Twitter database, which is surpassed 700 writers and continues to climb make sure one of those that you can follow is me at gray jones is my handle and uh you can get news on upcoming interviews and uh get your questions answered 
make sure you do go to scriptmag.com, our partner on this podcast. They've got lots of great resources for writing, including Jean Bowerman's Balls of Steel. She always has great advice for writing not just features, but television as well. And on to Andrea Moody. I'm going to read her bio. Andrea Moody is a Canadian writer located in Toronto, and most writers interrupt their lives to write. Andrea interrupts her writing for life. (laughs) Writing in all forms consumes her, and she's always got an idea of a new project. And more often than not, it's in a different area than she was writing before. Many of her projects in all different kinds of mediums have won awards, um, and this includes Geminis, Webbies, and a whole bunch of other stuff. She's written and story-edited feature films, documentaries, scripted dramatic television, reality and lifestyle TV, web episodes, interactive content, and games. Um, Some titles you might recognize, Property Virgins, Animals at Work, The List, the sci-fi drama Sci-Factor, webisode missions for Sci-Fi's Sanctuary as well. She's a graduate of Queen's University Film Studies, the Drama Studio London, USA, and the Canadian Film Centre. Andrea is an active member of the writing community as a juror for the DORA, Gemini, and Writers Guild Top 10 Awards. You're going to love this interview. Let's roll. Enjoy. This is Gray, and I'm here with... TV and feature writer Andrea Moody, who's actually here with me in Toronto, not not right here with me, but uh, it's a privilege to have you with us, especially because this is the very first time I've had somebody on the podcast that I've actually worked with. How are you doing, Andrea? I'm good. I'm good. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, it's interesting talking this way instead of face-to-face, who, of course, mm-hmm. wa- um, worked on season five of Property Virgins together. Mm-hmm. And uh, and work in and out of the same building sometimes, but yep. um, I am so excited about having you on the podcast because I think that there is a lot that you can um, teach people, and not just teach, but I, I I really think just by looking at you as a writer that uh, that we all have a lot to learn. <laughs> like what? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I said it in the introduction to the podcast, but I really feel. Um, that most of us, as and most, I think most of the people who listen to the podcast are budding writers. I think people who are actually working in the industry, maybe uh, there there are some of those who who listen, but I think the vast percentage are people who are trying to break in. And um, most of us have careers and jobs and families and other th- priorities, and it can be really really hard to squeeze writing time. And and what I hear from people is how do I get more writing time? And, and I feel like it, it gets pushed out of my day and how, how do I schedule it? And so mm-hmm. it's like we're interrupting our lives for our writing. And what I know about you from working with you is that you interrupt your writing for your life. <laughs> I should probably interrupt my writing for my life a little bit more than I do. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and, and I know that you, you shared that um, a lot of that came from just how you were brought up. And that you're, you've came from a family that was readers and writers and, and that, that, that was instilled in you in an early age. But why, why don't you tell me a little bit about that, about how you came about that attitude towards your life? I think it started probably right from the get go with this excitement about books and stories and reading. And then for some reason, reenacting those stories when we were like tiny, reenacting like the two bears or Snow White and the Dwarf because we had a limited cast. 
And we were like always trying to put the stories that we were reading up on their feet. I don't know why we did that. Both my parents are teachers, so that's probably part of it. And the big excitement was the trip to the library. Like, yay, we get to go to the library and get more books. So I think right from before I could even read, I was already excited about the idea of story and and physicalizing that story, like making it happen. Hmm. And so I know that already as of university, you were in film studies. So, mm-hmm. um, so do, were you doing plays before that or do you were really focused yeah. on film or h- how, how did that happen? It was, it was a real mixture. Um, I made my first film with Darcy and Ernie. It was a super eight film we made in the basement. It, uh, it, <laughs> it was a horror film. Uh-huh. Um, and I think, uh, we must have been 15 then. So it was not a very good film, but we sure did have a good time making it. And then I did a lot of theater in high school and university, a collective play creation, playwrights workshop. So, uh, I ran a children's theater company the summer between high school and university, and we wrote all our own material. So I sort of, again, was like, you know, taking ideas and then putting them on their feet and then honing the stories and then making it and making them happen. I guess I always kind of had that drive to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so you did go to Queen's University. Yeah. And um, it's known more for its film studies than its film production. Mm-hmm. And so when you finish at Queen's, what do you feel you had to bring to the industry from that program? I, I personally, I don't know actually know that much about that program. I loved being at Queen's because the focus was on the theory and the technology was just starting to take off and change really rapidly. Mm-hmm. But the theory, like I focused on, it's going to sound like really esoteric, but it's not really, um, psychoanalytic film theory. And I had a feminist focus because it was the eighties and I was like really excited about new ways of looking at the world and looking at story. So, uh, Queen's was a fabulous place for me to be both because the theory department was great, um, incredible profs, and also because I was able to do just as many courses in drama as film. So I got all this theory in the film department, and then I could put it on its feet really fast in the drama department. So mm. I trained as an actor and a director and a playwright in the drama department. So it was a really, for me, a perfect synthesis of sort of um, great ideas and then also like really um, physical, practical ways of exploring story. So I had a fantastic time at Queen's. It was really great. Mm, sounds like it. And in um, Drama Studio London, USA, what what is that? I, I noticed that on your bio. It doesn't, uh, that, that branch doesn't exist anymore. The Drama Studio London is still in London and mm-hmm. still going strong. It's a really popular theater school. And for a while in the 80s, they opened a branch in the States so we could get American training and British training in the same place. Mm. Um, so I did a year of theater school there, which was great. We had a, a an amazing group of students going through at the same time, and it was a really great stretch. We did all sort of the usual plays that you do at theater school, but we also had a lot of movement, like Feldenkrais and Alexander, Laban, dance. So we, we were we were working on a lot of different levels. Mm-hmm. So as a performer, it was a it was a a really great. Like we got all the classical Shakespeare stuff, but then we got all the kind of modern West Coast American stuff at the same time. So it was great. Mm. Yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah, it was great. It was a really a lucky experience. Mm-hmm. And like many of the Canadian writers who have been on the podcast, you went to the Canadian Film Center as well, which uh, to explain to the American viewers who, who haven't seen the other podcasts, that's that's kind of like a Canadian version of the American Film Institute, mm-hmm. started by Norman Jewison. And um, 
When, when did you go to the Canadian Film Center? A long, long time ago. <laughs> I went to the first. I went to the first writers' boot camp. Wow! So that was thirteen uh, years ago. I think so. Maybe fourteen years ago. I guess that's that's not that long ago. Yeah, it seems like a long time ago. Yeah, and we uh, worked like three months full time. We developed feature scripts. We learned a lot about pitching. We had to pitch all the time, new projects and new ideas. And so we're developing a lot of material. And some of that stuff I'm still working on and still moving forward to try to get it made because it was like a, th- a three-month-long brainstorm with really great mentors. Mm-hmm. So a lot of developing our own material. And it was a really small group. So there was a, it was really hands-on. And the mentors were great. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had Joan Tewksbury came in to see us. Pen, Pen Denshin came in to see us. Oh, he's great. Um, yeah. So we just, it was really, Al McGee and Tucker Crosby were running it then, and they were amazing, incredibly a supportive kind of group of people. So I had a lot of fun there. It felt too short. It was like three months long, and it was really intense, and then, whoop, it was over. <laughs> wow. So, and so that was like 97, 98-ish? Yeah, somewhere in there. So you had already done features before that. Yeah. Uh, you were assistant to Barry Stevens. Yeah. On the Diary of a Street Kid in '94. Yeah. And so, how did you get hooked up on that gig? I lived with Barry. <laughs> okay, I guess that would help. <laughs> and then um, he was working on the script, and I just kept doing little bits and pieces, and like just giving him feedback and sort of story editing. And then when he won the Gemini. He thanked me for it. Wow. And that started my writing career. Wow. So I still, I wow. still leave that on the bottom of my resume because that's really where I started was with that mentor- mentorship and that sort of process, which was great. I learned an incredible amount doing it. It was an adaptation of, um, Evelyn Lau's autobiography and it was quite a long process in terms of like the number of, of, um, script revisions and the number of, um, stages that it went through. So I learned an incredible amount doing it. And then that, was really what started my career as a writer. Wow. I hadn't up until then intended to become a writer. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know what I thought I was going to do. I think I thought I was going to be a character actress when I was in my 40s. I think that's where I thought I was headed. Really? And then, really? Yeah, and then the writing really took off, and I, I liked it way more than, than acting. What I liked about acting were the playwrights' workshops mm-hmm. and improv, which is story. Mm-hmm. Well, that is super, super interesting, and and it's it's kind of funny because um, one of the things we like to do on on the podcast is talk about breaking in stories because something that I've learned at not only doing these but listening to other writing podcasts is that there is no one way to break into the industry. Um, right. Even though I mean, the, you can read books that'll tell you these are the best things to do, and yet, really, every single person that I've heard has a different path and. I don't think you could necessarily write a book saying you should live with a, a writer. <laughs> find the best writer you can find, move in with them, and study hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, but hey, uh, it worked for you. And yeah. uh, and so you were on the map. So you were mentioned at the Gemini Awards. And then you um, you're, were writer-director of a 40-minute documentary about women living with HIV and AIDS. That was in 95. Um and uh, and a few other um, feature projects that you worked in development. And then why don't you tell me about how you, you got towards television? Because nine, 99 and 2000, after the Canadian Film Center, 
you were working on perhaps a more well-known show, um, Psy Factor, mm. is uh, is something that you were you did twenty two episodes of. So so what led to television? I wait. I'd done a I'd done a couple of other television projects before that that have been on air, and then I'd been in development a fair amount, and I was working with this amazing uh, writer producer Larry Raskin, who I love working with. Mm-hmm. And we was together developed just been finishing a show that didn't happen. And then he got offered Sci Factor and he said, well, why don't you come along and do Sci Factor with me? Oh, okay. Like it, it took me a bit of an adjustment to sort of think, okay, this is a totally different show than what I thought we were working on, but I, we had a great time. Um, Will Dixon and Damien Kindler were in house at that point too. So it was a really, oh, cool. Yeah. It was a really great story department. Will Dixon and Damien Kindler. Yeah. Oh my goodness. The classic Kindler. And we'll yeah. It. yeah, we and it was really for my first time um, doing an hour long show. I, it was an amazing group of people to be with. Wow! Wow! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I mean David Kindler, and I know from Sanctuary. Actually, he was just at the uh, Toronto Screenwriting Conference recently. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, Neato. Yeah, Damien and I had a chance to work again last summer, like a year ago in the summer. Um, doing, I I wrote all the online stuff for Sanctuary. And so we had a chance to work together again. It was kind of like old home week briefly mm-hmm. for, for that. Yeah. Very, very cool. So, um, so after working on the, I guess, I guess more features than TV before that, how was it to be in a room at that time? And how was the room run for that show? It was mayhem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we basically, we wrote in rotation. So, um, and we would do notes for each other. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty, even though I was, you know, just coming in as a new story editor and they'd all been on the show and they were consulting producers, producers. Um, Will started with the show. He was the original writer, creator guy. Mm-hmm. Way right at the beginning. They were pretty, it was pretty, they were pretty supportive of me just sort of jumping in with both feet and writing in rotation. Um, and then Larry Raskin and I wrote the last episode, co-wrote the last episode together. So basically we'd sort of break a story, do a beat sheet, everybody like give their feedback. Both, both Will and Damien were really good at, um, I think, I think it was Damien would say, you have to build the oogly boogly until it bursts. Like, there come up with these things and be like, what does that even mean? Like I was just coming off of like doc and, you know, women dying of HIV and AIDS and I was uh-huh. like, Tell me again. Explain this to me. And so I had um, I had uh, really good mentorship from from all three of those guys in the process of uh, learning how to write a sci factor, which is a very structured show. It doesn't mm-hmm. look like it's structured when you see it on television, but each act had its really specific things it had to to accomplish. So um, I learned a lot about structure, which wasn't my strength coming into it. I was more sort of quirky character, and so learning structure was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that was uh, an uh, for those who don't know the show, an hour long uh, paranormal drama, um, and kind of a uh, like suspenseish too, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and and so then after that um, mm-hmm. came some more dramatic TV. Um, Drop the beat. Can you tell me a little bit about that? It was about hip hop. Mm. It was for CBC, and you know, it was about it was set in downtown Toronto, and it was about hip hop um, student radio show. Um, mm-hmm. Um, with Back Alley Productions. Yeah. And I was just on that briefly. Just, uh, I can't remember which season that was. Denise Fordham, uh, was on that. And it was Adrian Mitchell's show with Janice Lundman. It was really, again, I keep saying that, but it's true. I have had such luck in my career. It was a really great group of people. Um, really creative, really interesting. Um, Adrian was really committed to trying to push the edge of the envelope. And so, in terms of the character, in terms of storytelling. So, it was great. 
Mm-hmm. Very cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, and since since then, there's um, in terms of your bio, there was a little bit of a, a gap between 2000 2001 ish, and then towards the list. What what happened in between that time? I did a lot of interactive and mm-hmm. web based stuff between television and television. There wasn't a lot of television in Toronto for a while there, and it was just as factual as starting to take off, but it hadn't really taken off yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a little bit of freelancing on doc stuff, and I did a lot of um, web-based stuff. But yeah, so I did a lot more sort of uh, trying to find new ways of telling stories in an interactive environment. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, um, that's very interesting, because that is actually um, the early part of the wave for web stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, to, so tell me about uh, because I, I know we're we're still trying to figure out the web. Um, yes. But certainly, ten years ago, it was it was very 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 green. So, so tell me about some of the stuff that you were working on. I started a really really early project I worked on with um, Larry Raskin back when it was uh, before Alliance became Alliance Atlantis. Mm-hmm. Uh, we worked at Atlantis. And uh, we're developing a show called, he was developing a show called Attack of Patrol Group. And I came in to work with him briefly. And this is like at the stage with the internet where we would talk to television executives and they would say things like, oh, I don't think that internet is going to catch on. (laughs) We're trying to create a crossover show that had web-based material and had uh, a television show that were um, interconnected. Um, so it's sort of, that was one of my first experiences. It didn't, it didn't fly. The Americans didn't get it. It went to MIP. It didn't happen. But then because I had an IT background already, I started working a lot more with, um, interactive storytelling, uh, in a variety of platforms. Uh, and then the, and then the crash happened. And that was, uh, uh, sort of a, a shock to everyone because it was the bubble kind of burst. Mm-hmm. But at that point, then there were starting to be other layers of projects coming along. So more recently, uh, I did work with, um, with Xenophile, which is one of the Toronto companies that does, has been doing a lot of interactive and that they're, they're a really interesting shop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And then came Factual. Factual. And, um, I am really, really interested to hear your story about what your first experiences with Factual and then, um, working with it even further because, um, I know we interview a lot of American Hollywood-based uh, writers on the podcast, and it seems like in Hollywood there there isn't the same kind of crossover that there is in Canada. In Canada, there's a lot of crossover between um, television and features, mm-hmm. uh, dramatic television and uh, factual television, and um, and I think that uh, factual. Writing, I, I even posted about this on on one of the internet groups, and and even people who worked in the industry said, "What? There's there's writing in factual." Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> um. So so so, tell me a little bit about. Uh, I guess was the list the first factual based uh, show that you worked on? Yeah. And yeah. so tell tell me about coming in. You you've never worked in factual. You're you're coming in. What what did you think that the writing was going to be like, and and what was the reality compared to that? It it actually was pretty much what I thought it was going to be like. I've been trying to get a factual job for a while, mm-hmm. but and I'd done doc and I'd done drama, and I would go into a meeting. I'd say, "I've done doc, I've done drama. I can do this factual thing. I know I can." And people are like, "Yeah, but you don't have any experience doing a property show or a design show or a wedding show or a makeover show." And I'm like. 
yeah, but I'm sure I could do it. So they needed somebody really quickly on the list um, to come in. It was a show that had had a lot of difficulty and they were just up and running. And I went to the interview and I kind of thought, you know, they needed somebody for a month and that would probably be it if I lasted that long. And they needed a body right away. And I was sitting there. Hmm. So, and the producer on that was from England and she was like, yeah, that makes sense. You've done drama, you've done documentary, you can probably do this. And I, and I stayed for two seasons. And that gave me a real ground because the list was um, a segmented show. So five segments mm -hmm. um, per episode. So I got to cut a cooking show. I got to cut a wedding show. I got like segments, right? So by the time I'd finished the list, I'd cut with the editors pretty much every kind of segment you could imagine would be in a factual entertainment show. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a really great way to sort of cut my teeth. And it was um, really a lot of long hours and a pretty intense push. But we had a really amazing edit team. Mm -hmm. Let's uh, let's break this down because um, to somebody who doesn't know about factual writing, the mm. very fact that you would say that you were working with the editor, right, would sound weird. Yeah, you're you're a writer, aren't you? In the writing room, how to, and and so explain um, to somebody who maybe doesn't know at all about uh, about how the factual industry writing wise works. Okay. your process for an episode. What 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 happens when the footage is actually even before the footage is shot. Yeah. What's your role before it's shot? What's your role when the footage comes back? Okay. It varies from show to show. Um, at its most extreme, I might start with the story with uh, the researcher right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, the researcher would be setting up the participants and setting up the story ideas and often setting up the locations that things are going to happen in. Um, although sometimes that's a coordinator. So, but they're the first person, the per first point person with a story usually is the researcher. Mm -hmm. So I could end up, and some shows I do, working with the researcher and the director and then developing beat sheets, which then often go to the network for approval. So this is the story we think we're shooting. Mm -hmm. So, and, we'll and, I, and let's maybe, um, do, do some, uh, hypothetical examples. Like, say, for instance, the researcher might, um, identify we, we want to tell a story about this. Let's go find one. Um, yes. And, and so, uh, I don't know, what, what, what's, what's an example from one of the shows that you've done that you could sort of follow a, an example like that and make it practical? Okay, a pra okay, practical example. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's, here's a good practical example. So, what would happen is they would be looking for participants, right? Mm -hmm. So, they would, so the researcher would be looking for casting. Sometimes the casting director's involved. Sometimes it's the researchers. Uh, producers heavily involved at that stage. And then from there, once they've got participants, they've got a lot of information about them and what their story might look like, right? So what, like a he said, she said, so he wants downtown, big house, she wants suburbs and or something ranch style or something. So you start to get a feel for the story. So then the director and the researcher, producer, sometimes the story editor is involved at that level, would put together a beat sheet. Mm -hmm. Sometimes on some shows, the story is not involved at that stage at all. And it's so, so for a beat sheet, you've, you've talked or the researcher, um, has talked to these people and you get mm -hmm. an idea of, of what their story is. What it's likely to be. Yeah. What, what it's likely to be and what, and you already, even before this thing is even shot, you've already identified what you think some of the challenges are going to be and what some of the stories are going to be story elements are going to be. Yeah. So, so this beat sheet to the uninitiated is, you're all, you're predicting the beats of the story. Yeah. And sending it to the network for approval. Which, I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll be honest, that is quite fascinating to somebody outside the industry. The, mm -hmm. the very fact that you can actually 
predict and get network approval on what you think the beats of the story are going to be yes. before you even shoot it. Yes. And this is supposed to be reality happening in front of you. Yes. Yes. Stories are, this is the thing, the stories even in factual are very uh, structured because you have to pick what you're going to shoot. Mm-hmm. So you can't just send out a, there's no money in factual to send out a film crew to follow every single person around for their whole daily life until they buy a house. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. You have to sort of pick your, pick your battles. Now, this is why you need a story editor is because then you go and shoot it and it doesn't turn out anything like what you thought. Mm. Nine times out of 10, some of what you think is true is true, but the story also evolves. So once the, uh, once the episode is shot, and this is something that there's a lot of coordination between production and post-production through the, either through the producer who lets you know how things are shaking down or sometimes directly, like the directors will phone the story editors back and forth and say, the story's changing, it's moving, it's gone in a different direction. So people are sort of keeping on top of the stories as they evolve over a period of weeks or months. Mm-hmm. And usually, so so say for instance, um, mm-hmm. uh, there, there might be several days of shooting, except that these days of shooting might happen two days this month, two days yes. next month, two days yes. the month after that. Absolutely. So you've shot your first two days. The footage comes back. Usually, there's transcripts made. Um, yep. Of in the in the case of most of the shows that I've worked on, don't have transcripts. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so the footage footage comes back, and unlike scripted, I'm in in scripted. All this mm-hmm. happens after you write the script, mm-hmm. but with factual, you as the story editor will watch the footage. Yeah. And you you have to try to discover what the story is from what comes in. From what got shot. From what got shot. And yep. so you'll take the first couple of days of shooting and you've got to look at that footage. You've got to evaluate, is this anything like the beats that I thought were going to be there? Yep. And uh, and then you may change the story at that point. And I, I remember those yeah. beat sheets, how every <laughs> time there were more, there was more footage shot, all of a sudden the beat sheet would totally change. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, it's, and a it's, a, it's a very quickly evolving process. But, mm-hmm. um, but as a writer... It's very much like in scripted, um, mm-hmm. how you might be in a room trying to break a story, because that'll happen as in a room as you're trying to break the story. Something will go on the board, but then it doesn't work with something else. You got to wipe yep. that off and start again. And and now, correct me if I'm wrong. You tell me, um, as you're working with the footage comes in, coming in, do you think that this has helped your dramatic uh, writing? Uh, being able to work with these these people and and quickly be uh, be quick on your feet to change these stories as as they come in. Sure, sure. And also, I mean, one of the things that I find fascinating about working in factual is that the characters do such unexpected things because they're real people. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it's like it's like working in documentary, except it's much more structured. So you've got that structure like you would have doing a dramatic show, but you have characters that are real human beings who do whatever occurs to them to do so and obviously there's like there's things that are set up that get a certain response like there's always the bubble burst they go take a look at at the house that's their dream house and they discover how much that costs Mm -hmm. and then they have to have a reality check right so that's sort of something that's built into the show and then you see what their response is going to be to that and then you you move from there so some of it is sort of structured for a particular response. And then, you know, when they go to see a house or to buy a house, whatever happens is kind of what happens. So there's a mixture. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, and so 
um, uh, whether or not you get transcripts, sometimes you do, sometimes you yeah. don't. Definitely, it's, easy, it's easier if you do. Um, yes. But uh, in, but it, as you look at the footage, often you'll end up making some kind of a transcript from it, um, or at least logging mm-hmm. the footage and, and, and getting to know what's there. Yeah. And then the fascinating part about this for, again, with, with comparison to scripted, is with scripted, it's only people at the producer level that start to be able to get involved with the editor. But, right. But in factual... The story editor works side by side with the editor. Tell me about that part of the process. That's the most fun mm-hmm. because they're the, the partners in making the story. Like working in drama, the story starts with the with the writers and the right and the the story team, and then it goes to production. And all sorts of things happen. Then it comes back to the editors again, and then the writers and the editors get back together again. They're like they're the story people on either end, right? And then in between, all sorts of other things happen. So. Um, not that everybody on set isn't also interpreting the story and doing the story, but the two places where the story really um, gets reshaped are at the front end and the back end. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and then it's evolving on set. It's always evolving. Like the directors talk about following the puck, right? They're fo- when they're doing factual, they're following the puck all the time. But what I love about doing doing factual is that, and doc is the same for me, and a lot of interactive is like this as well. I'm right there working with editors. So I have three or four editors that I'm working with on a daily basis. And they're just the most fun people to work with because mm. they, they're so sensitive to story and telling story visually. And so I'm always learning from them what they're bringing to the process. And on shows that are moving really quickly, it's actually the editor will just lay down all the material sort of in a sort of a rough, rough, rough assembly. So like 50 or 60 minutes for what will come down to 22 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then we'll look at it and we'll say, okay, where's the story here? How's this going to work? And then we start to hone the story and shape it down together. And then I'll start writing the scripted material to go with it. Mm-hmm. So it's a really collaborative experience, but it's not as crazy as being on set. There's just like two of you. So mm-hmm. it's not loud and crazy, but it's really creative. And the editors are are such a, a unique group of people. They mm-hmm. self-select to sit alone in the dark all day. <laughs> so it's like this amazing privilege to get to go and sit in their in their little dark spaces with them and 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 look at the footage and, and work the story together. I mean mm-hmm. that's the funnest part for me. Yeah, and, and there's some some really, really neat stuff that happens and and on on a number of different levels. Um, mm-hmm. for one, as you as you do get the footage in you can you can say we're not getting enough reaction out of this person, and you can actually give direction for the next shoot to say, "I want you to push these buttons." Yeah, <laughs> so we can send yeah we can send edit notes back, or either and it depends on the show. Either just talking to the producer, the producer will come in and we'll have a chat and we'll say these are the things we're noticing or not noticing, and then they can push it back out to the directors. Often the directors know too. They're like, "We're having a hard time with this. We might not get as much as we thought." Mm-hmm. Or th- this couple is really like they're wild and crazy. We could even go further with it. Um, so there's a fair amount of feedback back and forth between set and um, and the edit suite. But because we're editing usually as they're shooting, there's a lot of feedback back from the edit suite out to the field as well. So it's a nice back and forth. Mm-hmm. And then as the story gets honed and and shortened, um, another one of your roles is to write voiceover. Um, mm-hmm. and also not just voiceover, but write, uh, dialogue for the on-screen host to say. Yep. And so tell me a little bit about that. I think the thing about writing the VO is to keep linking it back to the story beats so that it's progressing the story. So instead of just saying, you're looking at a, a five course dinner here, 
you're saying something about the character and their relationship to how they got to the point where they got the five course dinner, having stick handled around problems with the turkey, or do you know what I mean? So that we're, you're always trying to, so you're not just describing something, you're giving it at least one or two more layers of information than just like, so if you're describing, you're doing a, describing a home that someone's going to go and buy, you don't just say, oh yeah, it's got three bedrooms and, you know, a backyard. You say, it's got a, it's got that extra bedroom for the baby that they're looking for and the dog is going to love the backyard because, or maybe this will cause a fight because it's not what she wants, but he's going to love it. So you're trying to always sort of make that little tiny bit of voice that threads throughout, sort of take the viewer along through the story a little bit more directly. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and so I, I honestly think that, um, that factual writing is, uh, I mean, I think it's, it's really, really appealing for a writer. Um, mm-hmm. because oh, it's wonderful. you, you are much more of a producer when you, when you're writing. You're not called a producer. You're not credited that way, but you really do the work of a producer, um, on, on the show. And partly you're, you're partly a director. You're partly an editor. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of really, really cool stuff that you get to do that you wouldn't necessarily do, um, on a, on a scripted show. It's true. I think it's, I I wouldn't go so far as to say a producer, except that all the producers that I've been working with in Factual were writers. Mm -hmm. So they come, so they have amazing feedback in terms of what they want to do with the writing. So it's a nice back and forth with that. You don't have the same kind of responsibility as a producer, but in terms of a back and forth, it's like in drama as well. In television, the, the story departments are run by writers, right? And so the creative producers are writers. So there's this sort of back forth around story and control of story, which is different than producers for in feature. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a whole different ball game. And so, yeah, all, all of the producers, I think pretty much that I've worked with in like in factual so far have come. One of the many things they've done previously in their careers has been writing and story editing, which is great. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. A- and, uh, and so let's move on now and talk a little bit about interactive and web. Um, you've done quite a bit of webisode work. You did webisodes mm-hmm. for, um, as you mentioned, for Sanctuary um, f- uh, on the Sci-Fi Channel um, for an, an alternative alternative reality game in yeah. conjunction with the series, um, and uh, and also uh, mystery drama webisodes for mm-hmm. Lika's Journey, um, and a lot of these are are, are very acclaimed. Uh, won some Webby Awards and and mm-hmm. um, and other other um acclaim um recognition type stuff um so tell tell me about that tell me about so you've done features you've done uh dramatic tv you've done factual how is writing webisodes different that's a really good question i was really lucky when i was working at xenophile i was working for ted biggs who's an interactive producer i really like working with we actually went to Queens together, so we go way back. Mm-hmm. And um, we've written together at different stages. So the actual creative process, and also Aidan Castelli, I worked with him a lot as well. And we had this sort of really fluid creative process in terms of jamming story. So it was very much like an old school um, television story department, except there were, you know, three or four of us. So, but, and, a, and a game designer who uh, Nathan Charlie, I worked with quite a bit when I was at Xenophile. Mm-hmm. Great guy. So we'd have a number of different 
ways of thinking all in the same room. So you're thinking technically, you've got your IT guys, you've got your game guys. So you've got like a lot of different people feeding their ideas into how to create a story Mm -hmm. because the stories are evolving and how they can be told is really changing and it's changing really quickly. So it's an exciting area to work in because there's so much flexibility in terms of how a story might move from platform to platform, move out into the real world. Like with uh, Love Letters to the Future, there was a whole real world experience, including a time capsule. Stuff was projected onto walls in Copenhagen. There was all the online um, material. People could contribute their own information and stories and so on. So there there was a lot of different layers and ways that the story worked and, and interacted with itself. And I think that's what's really exciting about nonlinear interactive storytelling. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think what's fascinating about it too is, is with features, it's, it's a very, very long process where you don't have any connection to the viewer. Yeah. Um, you write something and it might get produced three, five, ten years down the line. Um, <laughs> literally, literally. Literally. And it might show in, in places around the world that you never get to go to. Mm-hmm. And with television, it's a little bit more immediate. Um, dramatic television, you write something and it might get shot in a few weeks. Yep. You might even be able to go to the set with, yep. with script, or with, uh, factual, you actually get to predict a little bit and you, uh, you get to be involved in, um, mm-hmm. making decisions of what's being shot. Um, but still, you don't necessarily have that direct connection with the person who watches it. You yeah. can at least see it as it's made and you can sit in the edit suite and, 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 and see the fruits of your labor in a more immediate way. Mm-hmm. But with, with webisodes, you put it online and there's comments. Mm-hmm. You, you, you interact, like you said, where, where you might actually have, you, you might actually tie in with, with something that's actually a live event. Um, mm-hmm. And so tell me about that immediacy with the person who's actually viewing your, your content. It's interesting. It de- really depends on the type of storytelling. Like I was, we were just recently um, developing uh, a couple of new projects that are just at that sort of first phase of development again. And going back to some of the older projects that um, some of us had worked on, and we were looking at Love Lairs the Future, and we realized that although it was it had been over for us for like a year and a half people were still contributing to it hmm. it was it had it had taken on a life of its own and it's still happening it's still an experience for people and there's still regular hits and still regular contributions and it and it continues without us which is fascinating to me that something would have that life that kept going and evolving out of out of something that we were working on a year and a half two years ago so there's that aspect of it, which is interesting. They do take on a life of their own. There's also, I guess, some immediacy too in terms of people's responses. There's a lot more user-generated content being um, created. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is uh, increasingly part of what Interactive does is create that forum for, for interactivity. So there's, I mean, that's exciting. You get it's not immediacy because it takes a long time to develop an interactive project because mm-hmm. there's a long tech cycle. Mm-hmm. But once a project gets up and running and then it's, then the content is going, then it's like there's a, a back and forth. It actually takes longer. The development cycles for the interactive that I've worked on are actually longer than the television cycles, mm-hmm. but not as long and crazy as feature. Mm-hmm. Does that answer the question? Uh, yeah. Know. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so once, once it does, go live 
Mm-hmm. And, and once you do have that feedback from from the fans, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, uh, maybe fans is the wrong word, but viewers of, mm-hmm. of the material, um, how fascinating is that for you as as a writer to get to have that that feedback? It can be really surprising. Mm-hmm. What it, it, and and sometimes uh, kind of out of left field. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> what people respond to, like, yeah, it's surprising. And so, man, there's been features, dramatic TV, um, factual, documentary, interactive, webisodes. Um, and the interesting thing is that you're not necessarily doing any one thing in exclusion. You're continually uh, having a lot of um, projects going. And mm-hmm. I know you're shooting this weekend and, and you're always writing. Tell, tell me a little bit about just your daily process about, I mean, when, when you leave Property Brothers and go home, what, do you, what are you writing in, in this weekend? What are you shooting? And what, what, what are the kind of projects that you're working towards? It's a good question. What I'm shooting this weekend, that's a good question. Um, what I'm shooting this weekend is a labor of love, quite literally. It's called 52 Words for Love. And it's an experimental feature film that mixes documentary and drama been wanting to make it for about 10 years and uh decided just let's just get started shooting so we started shooting um interviews documentary interviews and it's just starting to take off right now what's interesting and i think this is the key i was thinking about this when you're saying how do you break in i don't think you break in i think you start working where you're working and then you find other people you like to work with and you keep developing those relationships. And over a period of time, then you have a community of people to work with. Mm. So you don't have to break in. You are in because you built it. Mm. So the 52 Words for Love, I'm working with, with Jim Blockland and Alan Peel. We made our first short film together an embarrassingly long period of time ago. <laughs> and we've worked on all sorts of different things over the years together in different capacities. Um, we just thought, we bought a camera and got some equipment and we're just sort of slowly building the doc side of things for a feature about how people communicate about love. Hmm. And what, at the same time, some of the guys that I work with in interactive were really interested in doing something interactive. So we've actually have an interactive storyline that f- melds with the feature. So it's also called 52 Words for Love. And mm-hmm. so we'll be launching that in the fall. So we've got sort of, well, it's an experiment. The whole thing is an experiment just to see how we can work with story in some different ways, exploring something that's so fundamental to people, which is, you know, how do we communicate about love and, and where is it where love defies words and expression? So that's what I'm shooting tomorrow morning. Very, very cool. Yeah. And and your your personal process for um, for writing Mm. Um, do you, are you just always working on different kinds of projects? Or are you working yeah. towards a certain few or how, how do you, when, when you do go home and write, what are you writing? I think there's like three distinct ways that I end up working on things. I think one is I go out there and I get uh, a really, the best possible money gig I can get. And I really like working with the same people over and over again. Once I get a process going with someone and I like working with them, I want to keep working with them. Mm-hmm. So I'll go after a job that I really want to do, like a TV gig, and say, hey, I really want to do this. Like, I really wanted to work with Crystal Leonard again. I'm like, Crystal, I want to work with you again. 
right? Mm-hmm. So I, I pursue people that I want to work with and try to be on shows that they're doing because I, I really like their process. I really like what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a couple of people that I work with a lot. And so the other way that work comes to me is they phone up and they say, I've got this weird idea of this thing I want to do a proposal on because I want to do this project. And I go, okay, cool. I'll help write the proposal. So that is another way that I end up overworking. So like pro bono or, or uh, is it something that you get uh, paid for? It really depends. Mm-hmm. Um, the Some of it's pro bono for sure. Um, and then some of it is like, we've got a little development money. We need to get this next thing out for a funding application. And then so we start developing stories that way. Mm-hmm. And then the third way is just I'm always thinking of ideas of things that I want to write. And I have more than enough things I want to write to last me until I'm 90. <laughs> so I just, <laughs> in, I just keep doing it. I just keep doing it. You get up in the morning, you make a cup of tea. You can sit down and get started. <laughs> very, very cool. Especially, or walk to the edit suite and sit down and get started. Yeah. Yeah. Very um, cool. And I think there's that sort of that feeling of, I, I mean, the thing is that I love doing it. I just, it's hard and it sucks. A lot of the time when I write sucks, it sucks so bad. You would not want to read it. It sucks so bad. But that's part of my process. I write a lot. I mm-hmm. tend to overwrite. So like if I... The vomit draft. <laughs> <laughs> or five or six. Like if I'm writing a scene, uh, quite often I'll write five different scenes of the same. It's going to be the same placeholder, like in a drama piece or an mm-hmm. interactive piece. I have a scene where two characters have to meet for the first time. I'll write it in the laundromat. I'll write it in the kitchen. I'll write. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do. do you know I mean, I'll have five or six variations, and I'll pick one, uh, and I'll keep going. So I think some people write straight through, mm-hmm. like draft, but I kind of write a lot of scene material and then start figuring out how, kind of the order that it would go in. And then I go back to the outline. And so I do a lot of writing in a circle. Mm-hmm. So it takes me a long time sometimes to write something because mm-hmm. I write a lot of material for what I keep. Yeah. But then I'm, then it bubbles down to mm-hmm. the very best. Mm-hmm. Well, it <laughs> bubbles <laughs> down to something <laughs> that I can tolerate. I think that's close to it. Yeah. I, I, I liken it to quilting in a way. My mother's a quilter. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a way of writing scene material that's sort of like making fabrics. And then you sort of cut up all the bits and pieces and sort of lay it out and look at the pattern and then sort of cut it up some more and rearrange the pattern and then write some more scenes. And so there's sort of a, a very sort of loose circular process that I get into when I'm developing new material. And some projects take a long time. Some sit in cue cards in my basket for a long period of time. And some just really are like, I just want to get them written. Mm-hmm. So, you know, every project's different too. And uh, now you, you shared about some of the challenges in, in wanting to get work in Factual. But now after having doing a bunch of it, what, what kind of advice would you give to somebody who wanted to become a Factual writer? I think there's a couple of routes into story editing and factual. Mm-hmm. Um, some people come out of having done some documentary work. So that's one way of coming in. Um, some people come in through the research, through working in research. Mm-hmm. I've seen that happen. Some really, a couple of really talented story editors came out of directing Doc and Factual and then moved to the, came to the dark side and joined the post team. So they had <laughs> a really good feel for story and they knew what they were looking for in terms of that kind of work. So that could be a route in. Mm-hmm. And I, I know, I know one thing is initiating, especially. I mean, I've, I've, I've actually ended up doing story research on a number of shows that I've worked on, um, just be, because I, I took the initiative to do it. 
Um, mm-hmm. and because you're always looking for good stories in factual. And so if you can find them yourself, then people will give you a chance to develop it. And if you, if you're doing the research and you put the work in to, to say how you think the story might go, um, and you can prove yourself that way, I'm sure that, that would be a very effective way to get in. Mm-hmm. I think for me, the way that I got pretty much all the work that I've ever gotten was through somebody that I knew mm. that I before in another capacity. Like when I, how I got the interview at the list was one of the editors who was working at that company at the time was a friend of mine that I'd gone to university with. And so she knew I was looking for work and she knew there was suddenly a job opening and there I was, uh, at least in the door to do the meeting. And I think people are willing to take a risk on something they've worked with before in a different capacity because they know who you are, hmm. right? Like if I, if I've already worked with you, if I needed a story editor, I'd be willing to take the risk on that because I know you and I've seen your work as an editor and I would think, yeah, of course he can do that job and that would be great. Hmm. Um, and I would pick you over somebody that I'd never worked with before, right? Because I know your sensibility, I know your style. And I think that's a lot of it is finding people that you like to work with. And then they, they, they get more work too, right? Mm-hmm. So that I did freebie short films with 20 years ago now are like, you know, they're executives, <laughs> right? <laughs> hey, I remember you, right? Because yeah. you have history with them. So I think that's a lot of, a lot of getting work isn't so much about breaking in. It's, it's about finding the people that you want to work with who have a similar sensibility and continuing to stay in touch and continuing to work with them as their careers evolve and your career evolves. Mm-hmm. Um, that's exactly what Will's Mac said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the thing is that then it's exciting to go to work because you really like the people you work with and you have a high level of trust and a great creativity, like a good process going. And it's just a, a way happier, more productive way to work. Yeah. Well, yeah. that there's is... no need to suffer for your art. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is very, very wise advice. And I think that's a great place to end up. Yay. Well, uh, thank you so much for taking your time. I know that one of the things about Factual is there can be long days. Um, and I know you got to shoot this weekend. And so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking this time. I'm sure it will be of great encouragement and uh, a lot of learning for people who maybe don't know as much about these other ways of writing. Thanks. Cool. It was a pleasure. <laughs> yeah. And so I'll see you at the office uh, next week, I guess. Yeah. It was very fun. Cool. Well, thanks, Sandra. <laughs> Have a good weekend. You too. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Script Writing Software, the entertainment industry standard for script writing worldwide. <laughs>